Welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The Therapy Thoughts Podcast is all about breaking down therapy-related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So join me for quick and direct educational episodes and some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together, we are going to break down stigma. We're going to help each other make peace with mind, body, and food. We're going to make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. What's up, everybody? This is T. Rowe coming at you live on the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. How y'all doing? You know, we are here coming up on December 2020. It's been a long year. I hope the Therapy Thoughts Podcast is giving you support, uh, that your mental health is getting the extra tools and accessibility of information and education here. I'm grateful for your listen. Today, we get to talk to Anna Sweeney. Another Instagram friend of mine, and she's she's real good. She's real good at what she does. She is a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and also a supervisor. She's also a certified intuitive eating counselor. She owns Whole Life Nutrition Counseling. It's a weight-inclusive nutrition therapy practice and it's dedicated to thoughtful treatment of eating disorders, disordered eating, and body image concerns. Anna also practices nutrition care from a health-at-every-size lens, And I mean, everyone on this podcast signs a a form saying that they respect and honor kind of the haze lens, the health at every size lens, because it's really important to me as well as the host to make this safe for all people and to advocate for all marginalized folks, including folks in bigger body sizes. So I love that Anna actively and very directly addresses this in her Instagram and what you'll hear today speaks more to that. She is dedicated to empowering her clients to notice and refute the influence of diet culture in their lives. She also understands that nutrition and interaction with food is both unique and personal and is also a full-time disabled person and uses her lived experience to enhance the work she does. I hope you enjoy this episode. Anna is a gem and Everyone I talk to on my podcast is wonderful, but it's always fun to connect with folks from Instagram who have been growing over the years with me and connecting with me over the years. So it was such a treat. Enjoy, y'all. Anna Sweeney, what's up? Hey, can't believe I'm talking to you in real life. (laughs) It's, I mean, we're, we always chat before the podcast, but you're like, I don't know you, but I know you. And it's likewise. Yeah. Instagram makes friends. Yeah. And you're in Boston. I'm in Utah. Like, here we go. Here we go. So tell folks who you are um, so they know that we're we're in the presence of someone amazing. <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> I'm Anna. I'm on Instagram. I'm at Dietitian Anna. And I am a registered dietitian. I specialize in the treatment of eating disorders. Um, and that's what I have done for the last however many years of my life. Um, like actually that's the entirety of my career has been dedicated to supporting folks with eating disorders. Um, and 
certainly now in the context of the pandemic and in the context of having a social media presence, um, I am pretty vocal about doing what I can in my little circle of the internet to support folks as they navigate diet and wellness culture um, that is everywhere, um, particularly right now when nothing we do for like wellness is going to prevent us from getting COVID except for wearing masks. But um, diet culture says otherwise. Hmm. What, what got you into working with eating disorders? So I was diagnosed with MS when I was 15 and my younger sister, Katie, um, it, it, I mean, had every single, um, care, like personality characteristic that lined her up nicely to have an eating disorder. Um, but my sister developed an eating disorder subsequent to my diagnosis. Again, whether that would have happened naturally or happened because I was, you know, I was sick and my parents were very worried about me for a solid year. Um, Katie, I, I will, I'll never forget this moment, but I I was taking my sister to the mall. She, Katie was in the bathroom and her journal was on her bed and the journal was open and it said, well, I guess I have an eating disorder. I have been fortunate to have never experienced an eating disorder myself. Um, I didn't have people around me to show me what an eating disorder looked like. And so I got my sister in the car and I yelled at her like, Katie, you're so beautiful. You're so smart. Everybody loves you. You're so good at sports. Why would you do this? Da, 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 da. Um, obviously having no context for what was actually going on. Um, and I briefly, I went to college with the brief idea that I was going to be a sports broadcast journalist, but my disease made that not a thing. Mm. And so I moved, I moved back home. Um, and I was greeted by a sister who I didn't recognize. And I'm not necessarily speaking about her physical self. I'm just talking about like the, the shell of my sister who was there. Mm. And so I took, I happened to take my first nutrition class and I decided very quickly that I wanted to go into the field of eating disorders. I got my degree in two and a half years saying like, I want to do this before I can't do it. Thinking about my disease mm -hmm. and certainly having no idea that I would ever, ever actually be in a disabled body, but I did it really quickly and I'm so grateful that I did. Mm -hmm. Is that advice you'd give to other folks who face your diagnosis MS? <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> no. No, like college is supposed to be fun. I, no, no. And I'm so grateful. I mean, in the context of like the world, I'm so grateful that I have MS now and not 30 years ago. Do I think it's really stinky that I am disabled and I'm in my mid thirties? Would I prefer to have pushed this off for another 30 years? Of course, but certainly there is no reason for some, I think with any sort of disease, like to accelerate, you know, life in a way that doesn't really allow for life to happen. I, I had my nose in books and I didn't, I wasn't really 
hugely socially connected because I was just like, I'm going to do this thing. Mm. That's not good for anybody. Yeah. What's, what's the balance of gratitude versus validation of like this freaking sucks when you live with a disability? You know, I, I think that that's a really important question and it's something that I, um, I certainly vacillate with and around. I give myself a lot more space now for, um, kind of the grief process, which I didn't really realize was actually, you know, like legitimate grieving, um, and grief work that doesn't actually stop. Like there's not an end destination to this grief. It's just like it changes shape. Um, I feel sad that I can't move my body the way that I once could, but I feel so grateful for the fact that the way my MS affects me has allowed me to keep my, my functional brain functional. Right. So I can be here and having conversations with you. I can support my clients. I can still do these things that like really fill me up. Um, despite the fact that my physical body is the reason why I left working in the clinical eating disorder setting. And, but I think it's a balance of, um, like accepting what is, even if I don't love what it is, I can be really cruel to myself and speak unkindly of this body and have MS and be disabled or I could not, I could speak gently and I can be a bit more generous with myself and offer myself space and compassion and I'll still have MS, but I'm not being a jerk. Mm. I love this nuanced focus on, I feel this and this, um, I think toxic positivity. Ugh is rampant and we want to take away people's feelings because we're uncomfortable with feeling. Mm. And we want to say, well, you should feel grateful or at least this. And we invalidate people's experience. And I I really just want to stand by you and saying like, yeah, it sucks. Mm -hmm. And being disabled in your thirties, being disabled period, having a different life vision is so valid. And we don't have to take that away. Like, Yes, and you're grateful for so much, and your brain is functional, and it freaking sucks. I I don't know. Like, why is that so hard for us to give people? You know, and Tiffany, I really think about, like, even early in my career, like, the ways that I felt so inclined to just, like, can I just take away this discomfort? Can I fix it? And I've been reflecting on, and this is, like, a total, like, tangent, but you'll you'll be with me. Um, I've even thinking about, like, early meal plans that I provided to people like that I focused so much on like fruits and vegetables, right? Trying to kind of allow like wellness culture, eating disorder, comfortable space, like encouraging my clients to eat these high fiber things, like not actually thinking about the fact that the digestion in the context of eating disorder recovery, like digestion is disrupted in the context of eating disorder recovery. And here I was saying, 
like don't worry about it like here have fruit like have some fruit you're anxious about this hun like have this and like have have an apple and something with it instead of being able to sit with someone acknowledging like wow all of these beliefs you have about these foods like this is so hard and yes like your belly is going to hurt and let's give you a hot pack right it's it's not I don't know. I think it's like we all have the desire and certainly helping professionals. We have this desire to like fix it. And if I can put a bandaid on it, that's really helpful. I I think therapeutically and certainly the way that I interact with my clients, this is so much more about bearing witness Mm. to another person's experience, not having an answer for it necessarily, but just being, you know, being with hard to do hard to hold that space sit with our discomfort of others discomfort isn't it mm. as we're talking about living with disability and the validation of things being hard or people in recovery things being hard i think about your experience as a professional and with your lived experience of body image mm. and how it takes on a whole different thing yeah it sure does yeah, like I'm, you know, right. we talk about body neutrality and I'm such, uh, this is, this is so much of my privilege of my abled body, right? I'm like, oh shit. Like I talk about body acceptance and body respect and body trust. And I live with chronic illness in my own right, but it's, it's a different level when you're living in a disabled body of accepting and working on body image. And I'd love to learn from you and hear what you have to say on that. So I actually have been very grateful for kind of my learnings just as being a human and and having a great therapist to kind of help navigate this space. But um, I, I am with you on like toxic positivity, particularly around bodies and like body love being this elevated space. Like if you're doing it right, if you're in your body correctly and you're, you know, fully embodied, you'll love your body. Uh, pardon my dog. Um, I, I believe very strongly that body love is a prerequisite for nothing. Mm. And so for me, um, I also have to acknowledge that, like, I live in a disabled body that is exceptionally privileged, right? I live within privilege. I'm relatively young. I'm white. I, like, have mobility aids that are foolishly expensive. There are a lot of things that I have access to that a lot of folks don't. And so my experience of disability, I mean, I, I, to be frank, like I've been hit on sitting in wheelchairs. Like it's a very weird, it's a very weird thing. I don't know what it would be like to be in an already oppressed body and be disabled at the same time. Mm. And so as I have gotten older, what I have noticed is I just like there, there certainly there are body parts is probably the wrong um, way to say it, but like there are sure body, like parts of my body that don't work and don't look like they once did. And 
I'm just spending, I, and I do, I just spend a lot less time um, focusing on that because no matter what I do, this isn't a thing that I, again, this isn't the thing that I can change. And so I, I do think that accepting this disabled body and because of the nature of my progressive disease, I might accept a body on Monday that functions really differently on Thursday. Mm-hmm. It might be better again on Tuesday, but it is a shape shifter. Mm-hmm. And that has actually been quite a teacher for me. If I became really stuck on one body or elevated this one degree of functionality, and this is very similar to people saying, I wish I looked like I did when I was 18. Like there's no such thing as that. So once you're not 18 anymore, you're not. As my body has become progressively more disabled and my disease state has changed, I give myself room to feel sad. I give myself room to, you know, bitch and moan and do the things that I need to. And I don't, I just don't spend too much time there because I I know that there are, you know, less fortunate humans who don't have the options that I do, who don't have the access to support that I have. And so I, I am all like, I'm very happy to engage in body image conversations. And I think that actually my body story makes it, um, although it's very different from everybody around me or most of the humans, no, everyone around me, actually, I don't know anybody else. I, I know very few humans with MS and mm. I think that's, I don't know. I don't know. I, I do have feelings about that, but um, not for this show. I don't know. I, I think that leaving space for feeling sad is important, but it would take up so much of my life mm. if I spent any significant amount of time thinking about my my body in terms of like body image strife. It would take mm. up so much space. Yeah. I don't have time. It seems protective. It is. I mean, Tiffany, when I was, when I first became disabled, I was working in the eating disorder clinic and I, a human with thin privilege would say in front of my clients, like, oh my God, this stupid leg guys, like, don't even look at me. Like all of these, like totally protective. I'm going to say these insulting things about myself before I walk into the room, before you can say it for me, like all, all of this baloney, like, it wasn't it, like that experience led to my development, like my development of the shit talk jar, which is literally how I stopped speaking negatively about myself. I ended up donating a, like quite a sizable amount of money to a local eating disorder treatment facility because it took me a really long time to stop talking negatively. But yes, everything is about protecting me. Yeah. <sighs> is what you're talking about body acceptance, body neutrality, or both? I think for me, it's more neutrality. Mm -hmm. Like 
I accept this body in the same way that I accept that gravity is the reason that I'm sitting in this chair. Mm. But I, I think it's, for me, it's just like, this is my vehicle. This is my earth suit. Like that's it. Um, And so neutrality feels more appropriate for me right now. And I'm assuming that took a lot of work. Yes. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Which is, again, I'm so grateful. Because I bet a lot of folks listening to this are are perplexed at the concept of body neutrality, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of this wild idea in such a like strong diet culture. What's that work look like? So for me, it's... <laughs> And again, I don't, I don't really know from like a definitional perspective what body neutrality is. And I mean, I can ascertain what I know what the word neutral means. Um, but for me, body neutrality is just about not spending, I don't know, not spending a lot of time, not spending a lot of energy thinking about or like, I don't know just like investing in my body experience and really when I need to kind of disconnecting and when I need to um, like practicing celebration, if there are things to like be really happy about. But I think there, I have such a strong inclination to like always positively reframe everything. This isn't a thing that I can positively reframe. Like there is nothing about, I'm about like, so I'm about to turn 35. There's nothing about, you know, using a walker that like visually lines up with like my mind's eye picture of myself. I dream as an able-bodied person. It's like, it's like my subconscious has not caught up with my reality. I've had MS for 20 years (laughs) and yeah, it's, it's just... I think it's for me, this is just about being with whatever is in the moment and being neutral allows me to feel really, you know, feel what I feel when I feel it. And that might be feeling poorly, but it also leaves room for like when there is something that feels like a little bit better. It's like, that's awesome. And even if it lasts like a minute, it's still awesome. Oh, this is beautiful. This is like the mental health goal in my mind as a therapist. And I'm I'm hearing all this mental health payoff and benefit and safety and survival and like protection and getting your own back that comes from this. This perception I think is beautiful for anyone living in a body. But I mean, when you deal with struggles and don't people ask you about this all the time, not just about disability, but how do I trust my body or accept my body when it betrays me? Sure. Sure. And that's hard. It's a nuanced, hard line to figure out. And I think you're providing some hope by saying like, this is, this is possible. It doesn't mean it's always pretty. Right. And it's not always pretty. And if somebody is looking for always pretty, I, I like, I hate to disappoint, but like, that's not where the work is, right? It's, it's being in the messy that at least for me has been such like the place where I have learned and the Mm -hmm. place where I have gained the most insight. And 
you know, I've, this, this disease has made me a bread, like a better human, a better practitioner, a better everything. Um, and I think this is a really hard time to be a person on the planet with a body. You know, it's, it's, this is just, and I'm not even speaking about this moment in time. I'm just speaking about in general, it is not, this is not the easiest world to have a body in and on. And the adventure, the journey of like figuring out how we take care of ourselves in the context of having a body, that is life work. Yeah. And that ties into so much. I mean, you're a registered dietitian, so you, your specialty is relationship with food, mm-hmm. right? And body. Yeah. and body. How's that tie into movement? I mean, we're inadvertently speaking about mental health. It's all connected, right? So relationship with mind, body, and food. What would you say about like the movement piece um, now with a disability, but also with a freaking pandemic? Mm. What's, what's that like? So uh, what's, and I, I will share this here, like my one, and again, this is, I acknowledge my privilege in saying this, but like the most significant loss that I have experienced in the context of this pandemic has been my inability to be as physically active as I had been for the past, however many years in an effort to um, stay as healthy as I possibly can with this diseased body. And this is not, I'm not talking about anything extraordinary. I'm talking about walking. I'm talking like the things that I celebrated as physical feats are things that no one else on the planet would be like, wow, that's so impressive. How can I do that? But it has, this pandemic has changed my physical body in a not so pleasant way. And when I hear people talking about their extraordinary concern, oh, oh, this is layered. Thank you. I am so excited to be talking about this. (laughs) When I hear people talking about their extraordinary concern of like, my gym might be closed again because the the COVID numbers are going up so exponentially, we need to shut things down again. Or I've noticed in the last seven plus months that I just exercise less frequently or I've noticed in the past seven months that I'm sitting more regularly and that makes me feel really anxious and like what happens to my body if I'm sitting down. I think it's really important for all of us to remember like the bulk of the energy that we use in a given day is about keeping us like a functioning us at a toasty 98.5 degrees. Like that takes a lot of energy and so when wellness culture elevates physical movement as though like this is the thing that's going to let you keep the body I don't I haven't actually spoken about this yet but I think maybe this is another Instagram post the fact is like I haven't done more than like walking in 7 months I am still a person who lives in the same body that I have I mean, I'm weaker, but this is my body. And so when we are talking about relationship with movement, this is actually a really cool time to evaluate, like, what the heck are you actually doing when you're moving your body? If you are super anxious about your body doing a thing to you, if you can't move it, 
I'm really curious about that. Mm. I'm really curious about what it feels like to move because it feels good. And it, it's so funny. Like I was not a jock at all. I, I didn't start to enjoy running until I was in my 20s. And then I stopped being able to run in my 20s. And I felt really proud of the things that I was able to do with my personal trainer and with my um, physical therapist, albeit like very minute things. I felt really like excited by those things. I think having a body is so awesome. And, you know, like it would be really neat if we could just think about the way that we interact with movement a little bit like the way I picture your son moving, right? Like he's all over the place and not thinking about how many steps he's taking, which makes it joyful movement. Mm. We get so far away from, you know, the kinds of movement that make us feel good and outsource body wisdom over and over and over again, because at the same time, the pandemic was being recognized Diet commercials about preventing weight gain in the context of a pandemic happened. It took four days. Four days. We are so, 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 so up against it in this culture, in this world. And if we want to regain our, what I believe is very deserved, you know, connection to our bodies, some of that actually is about, you know, if, if possible, joyful movement is a thing that everybody should be able to experience a again. And I, I know that that's not feasible for everybody, but there are just things that would keep people coming back. Like dancing is a thing that will keep you coming back because you just feel better after you boogie, right? Like, yes. It's super different than doing like a super intense hit class because your cousin said that was the best thing ever. Yeah. You said a very quotable moment that I want you to tell me more about. We outsource our body wisdom. Mm. And that really struck me because I've never heard someone say body wisdom and I love that. That's a light bulb for me. And then we outsource it. The way you said that was brilliant. So tell us more because that's you. This is, this, is, this is awesome. I think, and this is very hard in the context of social media. And I think like watching the movie, The Social Dilemma, like, oh, this is very frightening. And like everybody is growing up with all of this. We begin to, and, and, what I'm speaking about most right now is about wellness culture and even the ways that thinking about the way I was trained as a dietitian, right? Conventionally trained in a very weight centric, like under a weight centric paradigm and how doctors are trained and thinking about like kids being told to like monitor their weight from a very young age and what that does to a young person's relationship with food forever. Um, so there are a million different ways that we have, you know, we receive input from the outside world about what we should be doing with our bodies, what we shouldn't be doing with our bodies, what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat, um, how we should move, how we shouldn't move, like what is adequate, what is inadequate. And 
I think it's really tricky because this is, you know, it's a social thing, right? You're like, people get together and talk about their diet practices and talk about how they exercise. And there's a lot of positive reinforcement for like aesthetic changes. These are the realities of right now. And so it is very difficult to be embodied and solely trusting body wisdom when it comes to, you know, food choice and it comes to how we choose to move our bodies or how we choose to rest or how we choose to sleep, whatever it is. And particularly in the context of social media, there are a billion, and this is not an accurate number, but a billion influencers with huge platforms that are selling the idea like you eat like me, work out like me, sleep like me, be zen like me, you'll have my body. Like, it's just a lie. That's like, that's, that's not real. You, you actually won't. And not enough humans are saying that and not enough humans are saying it's actually okay for you to listen to and learn from your body. Um, and what would happen if we actually got curious about what your body feels about how you are doing X, Y, or Z? What if we slowed down? What if you took a break? What if you stopped doing this thing altogether? What if you never ate a thing that you don't like because it's, quote, healthy or is going to heal your incurable illness? What if you never chose to do that? Mm. Like, what would life be like? If we accepted body wisdom, if mm. we trusted ourselves, if we made peace. I mean, a lot of systems would fall. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm very sad to say it's not likely that, you know, diet culture. Well, that's why we're here. Diet culture is going nowhere. Okay, you brought up something that I I need to be an entire podcast episode, but we have to talk about it because I haven't talked about it with anyone. And it's my number one trigger. As someone recovered from an eating disorder, this is still my number one like weak spot. You think you can cure your uncurable condition mm. with a diet. Mm-hmm. I really struggle with this. I was raised in an extremely holistic, quote unquote, wellness culture, popping herbs at age four, muscle testing, chiropractics, like whatever, dude, oils. I've done it all Mm -hmm. and was raised very much with this mindset and still to this day have deep conflict and learning and unlearning around this of like, I can eat a certain way and be immortal and never get sick. Mm. Let's freaking talk about it. You're a registered dietitian. I'm sure you face this all the time. Um, I don't even know what I'm asking, but I, so I'm going to also then talk about me for a second. There was a woman, a doctor, um, who published a book and the title was something like the, whatever this protocol, how I healed myself from like of progressive MS, which is like not a right. Like MS does not have a cure. So like I, this woman, there's a lot of pandering there, how I healed myself of this disease. 
at the very beginning when it was first published, I was like, what is this? Like, this is so ridiculous. This is actually really like unfair and shouldn't be allowed because that's not a thing. And as my disease progressed, I went to my supervision group and I was like, guys, I think I have to do this crazy diet. Mm -hmm. I think I have to try this thing because like it might, you know, it might prevent my disease from being my disease. And of course, all of my supervision colleagues were like, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. And for six months, I ate in ways that were completely, completely um, unpleasant. Food, this thing that I have enjoyed my whole life, became entirely unintuitive for the first time in my entire life. I felt the same. I still had MS. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the six-month experiment, I just felt crappy about myself because I must not have done it the right way. Yeah. And so long story short, I'm not, you know, I'm not practicing that anymore, but I think it is such a challenge when there are, you know, wellness solutions that say, if you eat this way, Anna, like you won't be the same clinically depressed girl that you have been since you were 13. Like totally will be. That's, that's a thing. Or you won't have, you won't have MS, you won't have whatever. And I think that we rely so much in these situations. I think personal anecdote is so hard because there's a stranger on the internet that says, I did this and this and this and this. And like all of my maladies were alleviated. All of my suffering was gone. And at some point, people who struggle with chronic anything, it ultimately puts the blame right back on us. And it's like, if you didn't do this, gosh, that is so silly. And Tiffany, like it makes so much sense that that would be a place where you might still feel like a little tug because that messaging is really strong. And I imagine that whatever it is that you're reading about or talk, whatever, however you're interacting with that message, like you want that thing for yourself. Right. Human. We want hope. We don't want to suffer and be in pain or be infertile or have migraines or have arthritis or have our MS. Like we don't want to be depressed or have an anxiety disorder. So I think it's extremely tempting and confusing and shape-shifting and plays to this piece of us that's desperate. Yeah. I think it's really important to think about the humans who are teaching us things in terms of particularly the dietary interventions for whatever. Um, Like I I will say out loud, like I've spent a lot of money on like testing, right? Like I'm allergic to all of these things because of like a muscle thing, like a muscle test or I had blood work done that says I shouldn't have these 70 foods. And I've had it like this has been since I was very young because like you, like my family is like a little crunchy granola. My parents are biologists and I was 15 the first time I had blood work done to look at nutritional deficiencies. Wow. Um, And like of course we want these fixes. Of course we want this, you know, this wellness thing. 
and all of those tests that show you things that are deficient or foods that you shouldn't necessarily eat, not so much the deficiency one, but like the foods that you shouldn't eat or things that you're intolerant of, none of this stuff is truly statistically significant. None of it is actually, um, with the exception of like celiac disease and like lactose intolerance, we can test for those things. Everything else is a little bit of a toss up. And so particularly in the context of eating disorder recovery, but I think just like anyone with any sort of, well, like the gut and the brain are just so inexorably linked. And so if you have been feeling a little bit more anxious in the last seven months and your belly feels like shit, you are human and cutting out food is not going to make the stress of living in the context of a pandemic any easier. But I totally respect the fact that you want an answer. I totally yes. respect that. I love, I love what you're saying. Um, I follow Jesse. Shoot, I'm totally blanking her name. The scientist on Instagram, PhD oh, dietitian. She's amazing. Um, Hoffman. I don't remember her last name. But <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. She's amazing, and, and she's talk- back, and she's back. Okay. Um, I'm bringing her up. I'm thinking her right now because she talks about the gut and the microbiome. I'm yeah. My brain is not ready to talk about this, but it's <laughs> variety, right? Food. It's never about restriction. I'm learning so much about you know from dietitians and scientists in this field. We've been just taught to cut out, eliminate, especially no, with sugar. Add, add, add more, add, add, right? Add. Yep. So listen to the experts, like this is your field and the people doing this research saying, don't just order this random food sensitivity spit test on this Instagram ad body wisdom, working with real statistical evidence, believing in yourself, but also being really wary. I mean, orthorexia is real and it is a slippery slope and it's a high relapse risk. If you start believing like, you can cure all and be invincible by cutting out food. I think the risk of eating disorder development far outweighs any like anecdotal payoff. Amen. Amen. And I don't think either of us are like, it doesn't matter. Like obviously nutrition matters. And if a freaking chocolate triggers a migraine, you're going to know that and navigate that Mm -hmm. and pros and cons and whatever. But yeah, there's no panacea to remove all disease. Nope. Nope. And anybody who's selling you the idea that there is, is not actually invested in you not having disease. They're invested in you coming back and buying more from them. Having disease. Amen. Right. Right. I mean, disease happens. It is just, it's just a thing. Yes. Uh, but so much compassion. I mean, that's why I self-disclose of like, look, I was raised this way and I still am like, wait, maybe we sure I can't like be pain-free, right? Like it's okay. Whenever I, so, and here I like, again, I I am a dietitian. I know about nutrition science and I find more than anything, like I was conventionally educated. I'm so much more interested in a human's individual experience with food an individual experience of living in their body. And so I'll say the same about me. Like when I was following this protocol 
and I didn't feel better. I thought I was doing the wrong thing, but I will not tell you that when I feel badly that I don't go into a place of like, and this, I was thinking about this the other day, like how, you know, you have a chronic illness is when you are, at least this is for me, um, when you are thinking about what you ate like the day before or how you slept the day before, or like mm-hmm. what kind of meditation did you do the day before? Did you walk adequately? Did you do enough blah, 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 like whatever it is, always coming back and kind of trying to question a million things. And when I feel badly, there are times that I think to myself, like, well, if I followed that protocol, maybe I would feel better, even though I know and I have like personal experience with the fact that it's not a thing, even though I know it's, it's not a valid anything, I, as a trained person, I, like nutritionally trained, but I think more therapeutically trained, like I am still vulnerable to that. I still feel the pull of like, oh, you could do this thing that would make your life so much better. I mean, I don't blame you. I'm with you. And I want control. Like if I can control this factor and have a better outcome, duh. Right. Human. So weird. Humans. What the freak? (laughs) Uh, What else do you want people to know as a takeaway? If This is, I mean, gosh, we have so much more we could talk about and like have entire podcasts on any of these subjects. But I want to give you space to say like, here's my message. Here's my thing. Here's what I want people to know from me. So two things. First, um, I hope that everyone is just being gentle and generous with themselves right now. This is the weirdest moment. um, And it's a very long moment. And that makes me really sad. But we are in this, um, you know, together. And I, I hope that you are compassionate with yourselves in, in the context of the pandemic and are reaching out for help. If you need it, go to your appointments, you know, all of those things. Um, and I also want to share that starting actually the first week of the pandemic, I started virtual connection. And so I give away, or I, I not a giveaway, but I do an hour of, um, Instagram live time. I have a snack and answer your questions. And I would really love, um, and I actually have a lineup of practitioners that do virtual connection for every day of the week. Um, so I, I haven't missed a week since the start of the pandemic. I would wow. love for you to come hang out. We talk about eating disorder recovery. We talk about body image. We talk about navigating wellness culture and setting boundaries and, you know, the yada yada. Um, but I would love for you to come hang out with me on Instagram. And if you are around at three o'clock Eastern standard time on Mondays, come have a snack with me. Ooh, I love that. Y'all what's your handle? Dietitian. Oh, I am at dietitian Anna. Yes. Um, I mean, your content is fire. Thanks. I love, I have so, so this is, I, I have so much fun. I make my own stuff. I don't like, I can't, I'm not artistic in the same way that I used to be because of disease things, but I, I create my own stuff. I write my own stuff. Mostly I write it the day before I post it. Um, it's just so, it's just so great. I love it. You could make 
hundreds of little quotables from this. I mean, you're brilliant. And I just respect the work that you do and your lived experience. And I'm just so inspired by you're changing this game. I'm inspired by you. Mutual, please, please. <laughs> I bought a program from Tiffany. I have done nothing with it. I'm just telling you all. I'm not, I wasn't going to ask I, you. I, I want, like at one point, I would like to make something for everyone who's listening to this. The odds of my actually following through and like making some something on the internet that's available to you. I mean, they're higher than they once were. It's just not, it's just not happening. <laughs> it's not that I'm not motivated. It's just <laughs> hasn't happened yet. Look, I'm trying to be more like you. Like my goal right now is like, please, please don't do something after this launch tomorrow. Like, please just take a break, sister. And I, yeah, we all have our, we all have our space. <laughs> you just keep pushing it out though. It's like, holy moly, Tiffany. It's yeah. It's, I don't know. It's the, it's, it's a drive deep inside. It's mm-hmm. deep y'all. <laughs> I got to take a break. Well, but you make great stuff. So, I mean, take a break when you need to, but it's great. Thanks y'all for tuning in. Uh, make sure to follow Anna and um, we'll have more information on how to connect with her in the show notes. So may you be well. Thanks for listening to the therapy thoughts podcast, but remember this podcast is not therapy. This is for general informational purposes only The information on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition, illness, or disease. This also isn't intended to be financial, legal, medical, or therapeutic advice. Make sure you're always working with your own personal, licensed mental health counselor. May you be well. I appreciate you tuning in and supporting the Therapy Thoughts podcast. If you want to dive deeper into intuitive eating and body image and self-love, head over to tiffanyrow.com. It's the hub of all of my courses, the podcast, my merch, and information about doing counseling and coaching with me. I hope you guys stick around for more. We have lots of exciting interviews and thought leaders coming onto the podcast. So until next time, may you be well.